0: Hey there, Agile Harford. It's Dave Krasnowski. Joining me as always from the board is uh, Steve Nunziata. Vince Zucraj is here as well. And our guest tonight is joining us to enlighten our community on design thinking, Tali Pinhasi. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure to have you. Would you mind introducing yourself to the to the audience?
1: Sure, of course. Um, my name is Tali. Uh, I now work in a large uh, insurance company in uh, the Hartford vicinity, and uh, I lead a design thinking or design team that is situated within a technology and innovation organization. Been in the design field over 25 years. I never really know what to call it, so now it's design thinking. Um, but it's been quite a journey. So I'm very happy to have landed where I am, and uh, very excited to be joining you today.
0: So that's interesting. What else? So. What other things has it been called in the past?
1: Oh, well, you know design thinking i 'm um, not sure how familiar our audience is with the concept, but it it really is all about designing or, or understanding our customers and landing on solutions that are designed specifically for them. so you can think of marketing as design thinking really because every marketing initiative that ever happens starts with understanding who you are creating a service or a product for, and then going through a process of design to land on a design and a product that makes sense for that particular audience. Any project, really, that I I think all of us probably ever touched in that realm can be called design thinking.
2: So it's not really just... Say the like the physical product itself, like an like an Apple product, but it's also like an insurance product would have the same concepts apply. So it's anything, any way that we're interacting with a potential customer, whether physical or an intangible, incorporates elements of design thinking.
1: That's right. So uh, one of the best definitions that I've ever heard to it is by uh, Alan Cooper, who is one of the first people who ever talked about personas, which is a a very uh, useful tool in design, Uh, he defined design thinking as a problem-solving approach that begins with developing an understanding of people and ends with a solution that's tailored to them. So if if you read through that or you listen to that again, it's really not about a service or a product, or you know, even prescribing remotely what the solution would be. It could be a script. Uh, it's really about starting from the understanding to what is desirable, what is needed, and then defining a solution based on that rather than starting from features, for example, which is something that we all typically jump into in right. this world of technology.
2: But there's also the concept of understanding the, the need, but it's also it doesn't incorporate aspects as well of how do we really delight the customer in a way that they didn't even they weren't even aware of initially
1: yeah, and I think the terminology changes, and design thinking has maybe twenty different applications i actually, I'm probably wrong on that it's probably closer to a hundred. Um, I believe there's actually a book out there that talks about design thinking methodologies, and there literally are a hundred <laughs> methodologies in that book. Uh, But the principles are the same. Uh, The language may be slightly different, but the concept really is, if you think about a Venn diagram of three circles, the top one would be people, where you start with desirability. So that can be a need or a pain point or something that's missing, right? But something that's human-centered, a a miss or a, a gap. The other two circles are viability, so that would be the business need. And the third one would be feasibility, which is the technology and contextual side of things. And innovation really happens in the introduction or the intersection of all these three circles. So the difference really is between agile approach or any other technological approach that we would take or a business approach that we would take. And design thinking is that with design thinking, you start with the desirability, with the human-centered aspect. You start there, you really understand the market, the needs, the gaps. And then once you have that down, then you consider the viability of solutions and the feasibility of those solutions to decide where to start. But you don't necessarily start with a low-hanging fruit.
2: So I feel like Dave, Steve, and I um, all come from like an agile background where we're primarily executing different business visions. Do you feel like design thinking is establishing and understanding that vision a little bit more?
1: Absolutely. Design thinking is now officially a part of SAFE. So if you look at SAFE 5.0 since the beginning of uh, this year. It is officially, it's a stamp in the middle of the diagram. There's no escaping of it. Like I said in the beginning, that design thinking is not a methodology. It's not something that you do or fail, or you don't do or you fail. It's just an approach that everybody should have, from executives all the way to your coders and, and QAs. It's integral to agile and safe. It's not separate.
0: So I'm glad you brought up the f- safe because I was looking at the diagram, you see it's a big stamp way, way up front. What I'm starting to see people do is like, oh, we have to worry about design thinking up front. I assume it's throughout. Do you get all the benefits if you just do it up front? Or can it be just as harmful if you do it all up front and then forget about it?
1: So I could ask the same question about Agile, right? Do you get all the benefits if you only do it for two iterations? No, okay. of course not, right. right? It doesn't work, it doesn't right. work that way. As an approach, the approach that humans should be in the center and that we should always deliver value, that's part of of everything that we do in Agile. However, because design thinking focuses on needs and is really biased towards human-centered problems, it is best if you start with it. You can integrate it later on, even if you're in the middle of a process. It's really much more useful and much more beneficial if you think about it right in the beginning. And the reason that it's so useful in the beginning is because at that point you would be able to do some research and incorporate your business partners and your insight partners and your IT and architecture partners really right from the get go. And when you do that, you create alignment that just allows you to run with your project a lot faster later on and deliver on value with, purpose rather than just checking off boxes
2: so i'm curious to that point you talk about engaging the the customer throughout the life cycle the duration of realizing a product i guess in your experience have you seen cases where you know you, you get an external customer there with you in the beginning but then they really can't stay engaged for say the course of a year so how do you balance the need of a customer to keep customer centric design principles in place. How do you, how do you mitigate them not being there full time?
1: The reality is that you cannot have customers or users present all the time. It's, it's just not the reality of the project. The challenge is really to strike a balance and to have a setup in which you can go back to verify your assumptions with user samples along the way now I, i'm purposefully staying away from the word customer and we'll get back to that in a second user is probably a better word to use but if you have a group of users or one user that you can tap from time to time that's typically the way that i would go so for example in the beginning you might have some focus on ideation you define what the problem is that you're trying to solve. You'll do your value mapping, and then you might come up with some ideas. You'll have an ideation session. You'll come up with a bunch of different solutions. Some of them are really high-level blue sky. Some of them are very practical. you prioritize those, and then you'd land on something that you want to explore. Now, at that point, you're making an assumption based on whatever data or information that you might have that that's the right solution now you may have a lot of data and information up until that point but you should still validate so what you would typically do if you take this approach is you develop some sort of a low fidelity prototype and when when i say prototype in the it context people typically think something that's developed and clickable and you can interact with that's not what i mean okay a prototype can be a piece of paper or a couple of high-level wireframes or even a mood board that explains somehow on a high level what you mean. That could be a sketch. It could be something very crude to just say, what do you think about this? And when you put a sketch in front of somebody and look at their face to be able to see their reaction, you often get a lot more insights, even though those insights are not verified or necessarily quantifiable you get a quick sense of whether or not what you designed or you what you want to design is actually valuable or not. And what you achieve by having this check-in early is that quite simply, you don't know what you don't know. And you can only make the assumptions that, that you have information to make. And if you don't continuously go back to users to check that what you're assuming is appropriate, you may miss something really critical and just go down a rabbit hole of investment that will that might prove to be a waste of time or might prove to be something that you could have done a lot better had you had some sort of an insight or one additional feature that you just didn't think about.
2: I had a team that They did wireframes for a customer and then they got to the point where they, they needed feedback and they got a lot of feedback and they realized we waited too long. Even though it was a wireframe, they waited too long to get feedback because it it was effectively, they had to redo a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So I love that because that speaks to the agile principle of maximize the amount of work you don't do only do enough for feedback. So that's right in alignment with what we as coaches, what we preach.
0: All of these things we hear all the time as we coach teams, this is a lot of the same language. Uh, we want to act fast enough with enough information to and then question if we're on the right path, get feedback, often. Why in the world is it so hard for people <laughs> to take that, right? I mean, it's, it's really, people aren't doing this kind of thing, so you bump into the, the CEO, who's been pondering this and he's been scratching his head and he asks you, why in the world will I want to do this? And you've got like two minutes of SEO's CEO's time. What would you tell her at that point?
1: Design thinking yields better, faster, more sustainable results through quickly adopted, long-lasting innovation. So I'd say first, there is now empirical proof that practicing design thinking at scale has positive economical impact. In technology delivery, especially when paired with safe and agile, it can significantly reduce time to alignment, testing time, defects, rework. From a cultural perspective, it's also very impactful. It solves the ever-existing issue of IT and business not talking to each other. It improves internal collaboration across business silos. It opens the possibility to quickly sharing ideas and building trusting relationships and just avoiding biases in general. And I'd say that in a broader sense, it also has a market impact because it challenges ordinary solutions and encourages new ideas that ultimately solve these issues of in just different ways. Uh, It's a practical way to ensure that we deliver meaningful value to people which ultimately leads to better user experience and also faster adoption.
0: You're in a room with people trying to solve a problem and you say, who are we doing this for? And you can't get that answer. That is such a struggle. And it's not like the people, the people that use it, the users have to have this. No. Yeah. Who is the user? What do they look like? What are they, what are they feeling? That is a hard question to get answers to without spending the time you described thinking about that.
2: Well, every generation has their own way of interacting with technology. Like millennials are different than, you know, say we are Dave. We remember when TVs had like three channels on them. Yeah. Yeah. At another insurance company I was at, it was always, well, who is this for The, the millennial or, you know, the retirees, because the way they engage with our company by and large is dramatically different. So they had a factor the human side of it in because they had to know who they were going after and who was going to help drive uh, the market segment.
1: Yeah. But what's interesting still about what you're saying right now, Steve, is that that approach is the approach of traditional marketing, where you define a segment by their demographic information rather than by their social interactions and desires. And the, the complexity is by design, stripped out of that equation because you're still assuming that by being a millennial, you're going to be working in a particular way. What we're still failing to understand is that some millennials are very young and some of them are parents. That's a lot more significant than their age.
2: So you think that segmentation is still pretty pervasive and that's really the barrier that we need to start working on?
1: I think the acceptance that complexity or personalization is a basic part of, or, or the individual needs to really be recognized for what they are as opposed to still generalizing groups. And to get to that point, building in that personalization is the only way to move forward.
2: I can see that being a challenge for, you know, big monolithic insurance type companies that are driven by literally demographics. Rates are yeah. by demographic. So I can see that being a whole big paradigm shift that it's going to take a while for it to really work its way through the organization. A, a couple of years ago, five,
0: six years ago, when I was working in an insurance company, working on members facing applications, we don't do that for Medicare members. Why not? They don't use technology. Zero empathy. All those people, they don't touch computers or something. They, they, they chisel their information on stone tablets. I don't know what the thinking was but we legitimately did not integrate the products that supported them.
1: Yeah, but it still happens. I think maybe not as bluntly as you just described, but, but to a degree, I think that um, the assumption that we can move towards personalization without taking into account that people expect personalized experiences, that's a gap, right? But we're not just going to overcome that.
0: I'm just thinking, I'm just spinning through my mind how many times I've heard personalization now in like everywhere. And I'm trying to think of how many people could t- go back and say, here's the person or persons. That's just blowing my mind right now. I'm sorry, I'm fixating on it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's,
1: it's interesting. I, whenever I, um, I've been in that situation a couple of times in recent years where you read a problem statement or you ask somebody, what is this project or program all about? And you read the program. Statement or the vision statement I would recommend to anybody that I work with is try to imagine this exact same problem statement in working in a different company or working in a different industry or working in a different, in a completely different scale. Does it still work? If it works, it's bad. If your vision statement can be taken as is and placed gotcha. somewhere else without gotcha. any changes change it
0: (laughs) because it's just so vague and kind of meaningless really
1: it might be very meaningful to you but unless you're making it your own or making it belong to a particular user segment you're really not doing anything different saying i'm going to be personalizing my product yeah but what does that mean and what kind of value does it deliver right going back to to safe personalization might be a goal, something that you want to do, but you should ask yourself, why?
0: It's something way beyond just insert name from file here. Right. Okay. Hello, David, I misspelled. Right, <laughs>
1: you know my name, that should be expected,
0: right? Because you have my credit card You're billing me.
1: <laughs> I expect wow. you to know a little bit more about me <laughs> at that point if you have my credit card and basically <laughs> my entire medical history. <laughs>
0: So somebody with with your skill and your experience, taking people through that journey, that's a lot. That's a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill, a lot of training, education, but just starting out a little bit, just trying to do one little thing, like ask people the question. I I know a lot of people have anxiety over that. We've talked about this before in some of our meetups and people, people refer to design thinking as, as that thing for the really artistic people. I don't believe that's true. And we could all start. I feel if you start, the artistic person in the room will help you along quickly. What would be your advice for somebody like that that, that considers themselves not artistic? How could they start and just get some experience under the belt?
1: I think that the, the ideas or the, the approach of design thinking is understandable and accessible to anyone very very quickly it's really intuitive if you just let yourself take a breather from what you've done i have never talked to anybody who said no this doesn't make any sense ever in my entire career i think that it is intuitively something that people understand they need to do they need to understand what they're delivering and who for and then start from there i think the challenge is that people are so used to not failing and only reporting back on success, that they they kind of take the fun out of it, right? The whole idea is to learn along the process and discover new things. If you're only doing what's expected, innovation is kind of out of the picture. If innovation is a goal in any shape or form, then you have to change the way that you do things to get there, and you have to culturally uh, allow for that flexibility. Now, in terms of uh, practice. Or creative being creative or artistic I think you said yes while design thinking is very easy to understand and uh, I think apply to some degree mastery takes years it has nothing to do with being artistic it has a lot to do with being comfortable to suppress your own biases it has a lot to do with listening skills and it has a lot to do with your confidence to synthesize ideas on the fly and making statements that people can react to even though they may be wrong. The artistic side of design, artistic is the totally the wrong word. It's not really about being artistic because the difference to me between art and design is that art does not serve a purpose and it cannot be right or wrong. It's just there to convey your own personal ideas and it doesn't matter if somebody else gets them or not. Design is completely different. Design is supposed to design. It is supposed to deliver an outcome for a particular person for them to utilize it. It has to have a a specific purpose. And if you don't deliver that purpose, it's a failure. There's a huge difference between art and design. Now aesthetics is something different. Aesthetics should be, a prerequisite. If you look at any good experience out there, what's in my mind makes a good uh, design versus a bad design is that if it's good design, there's nothing you can take away. It's not that there isn't anything you can add. It's getting to that simplicity of something that is so clean and clear that it just makes sense. And it's intuitive by itself. That is not easy. It's the equivalent to writing a short email. It's hard. So being able to get to that point to crystallize your ideas visually in a way that you can just put it in front of somebody and they will get it, that's the mastery of design that I will not be able to teach anybody. But that's not design thinking. That's design. And designers are skilled at what they do. It's the same way that I can't teach technology thinking or medical thinking. I can't teach people to be UX designers or visual designers or business designers or service designers, that's a skill set. People go to school to learn that, practice their years of experience in those particular fields. Design thinking is not the same. On a high level, you should be able to understand it uh, and you should be able to, to practice it, especially if you have the help of actual designers in your teams.
0: Thanks for that clarification. If I ever get to meet up with some of these folks again, maybe I'll clarify with them if maybe they're thinking on the other end of that journey. Maybe they're thinking way far ahead of the things they don't have to do up front. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming today and spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Lots of great insight. Lots of great information.
1: Pleasure. Thank you. It's always great um, to hear from other people and the challenges that you're having and now that maps or completely doesn't map to what I'm going through. (laughs)
0: Take care and be healthy. Everybody out there, be agile and stay curious.